Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. I want short answers. I know these are big subjects, but I want short answers because we haven't got too much time left. But James Lawler has asked two questions. Should the ECB directly employ ground staff to improve county pitches, kind of make the pitch preparation independent and try and make them as good as they can possibly be? Mark? No, they shouldn't need to do that. They shouldn't need to do that. They need to have a proper policy and proper guidelines about what they expect. They shouldn't be, we shouldn't have a nanny kind of ECB employing 18 grounds and up and down the country. That shouldn't, we shouldn't need to do that. Phil? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, we Teams should be able to um, prepare a pitch to to uh, their own team's advantage, but it has I'd... to be it has to meet certain basic requirements that ensure that you're going to have a a pitch that lasts long enough. I disagree with both of you. I think they should be centrally contracted. I think they should be taken away from the counties and report to the ECB and report to the pitch inspectors because if you actually have them employed by the counties themselves, you get in captains and coaches in the ears all the time. Basically, we need a green top because that pitch, that team can't play. Yeah, you know, and you end up dumbing down and you get result pitches, not necessarily the best. Well, it's pitch, not if you have the necessary sanctions, you don't. You stick to them. Um, and, and guidelines. We want to run get the game so it actually produces the right result in the first place, not so we have to fine everybody for not doing it. Hmm. Well, yeah, they, you get they, to they the same. They had good enough pitches uh, for about twelve years in county cricket without. Anyway, I mean, I see your point, James. What structure should the county championship be? Franchise, like Jonathan Agnew said today, this is a massive subject. Um, Jonathan Agnew's um, 10-team, 8-team structure, like franchises, same as now, three divisions or back to three-day cricket in one division or back to two divisions, I guess. That's the one thing that James Lawler's missed out there. My, I mean, I'll go first on this one. I think, Mark, you've said to me many times, it should be the best player and the best. I agree with that. I want to see 18 counties retained because I think that spreads the tentacles of the game around the country. Country. If you end up with, I mean, as as the hundred is, it's seven basically centres of 
of population. If you're if you live 100 miles away from there, what's encouraging you to go to to your nets at the local county, whatever it would be called? Three divisions of six in the championship make the top division the Premier League, and you give it a little bit more of priority. I don't mind white ball getting priority, but I want the red ball to get the same priority. Have red and white stripes throughout the summer, as I keep saying, and I think. I, I'm not against, actually. I've kind of thought about this a lot because initially I kind of backtracked a little bit. But I, I'm not against having some kind of regional structure across the top of that, even if it's just for three weeks in the summer, where the best of the east and west and the north and the south, or however you separate the regions out, play each other at a higher level in between county and test cricket. I think that actually probably adds a little bit. I can see, I, I'm not against change at all, but I need to see that change is actually going to lead to something. Jonathan yeah. Agnew's change of bringing in 10 new teams that are going to go above the 18 other teams it just seems to complicate everything and doesn't actually make any difference I think Jonathan Agnew is living in a I think he's been behind a microphone living in and kind of reality for long uh, no not franchise first class cricket I think um, from my perspective I want the best playing the best I think it's too complicated to reduce the counties so I would retain 18 I would want a regional structure under the 18 counties so I would actually I'd stick with two divisions and then I would have had five regional games I would cut a one day I would cut a one day um, competition out I'd cut the 50 over out to make more room for red ball cricket. Uh, or could, could you make it a knockout so it doesn't take up so many days? Or not or a knockout, one of the one or the other. I would make it that to play test match cricket, you would have to be picked for your regional side and I would give financial incentives to play regional cricket and red ball cricket and you would pick your test match players on the basis of their performances in regional cricket. Um, so the... So the the actual county system can carry on. It's a feeder for the test match, test match arena. But actually, you want to see the best playing the best, even all, not just through the county cricket, but through this regional structure. Imagine imagine if you had, for example, Somerset and Gloucester combined with Glamorgan, playing Yorkshire, Lancashire and Durham combined. Look at the strength of the sides we'd have there. Because one of the things we don't get in county cricket these days, and I think this is an important point to make, and I think... This is also a reflection of the standards. We don't get the consistent quality of overseas players. We don't get the amount of cold packs and South Africans coming to qualify like we did in the 70s, 80s, 90s. That doesn't exist anymore. And that kind of brushed over some of the kind of quality issues of the past. Because let's face it, we've been having these conversations for a long time. That's all gone. We're living in a new reality. So if we live in that new reality, we have to have something better so players can test themselves against each other. They're not facing Wazim Akram, Patrick Patterson, Alan Donald, Wayne Daniel, Sylvester Clark, Sackley Mustak, Mariah... Mark, 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 we can list the greats of the county cricket forever. Um, let's move on to Phil. The only trouble with the regional thing, Phil, is that North is always going to beat you guys down south, isn't it? But I mean, I guess that's a problem to to deal with then. How do you see... I mean, you heard what I said. Mark, Mark's kind of very similar, I think, to what I've said. Finally, me and Mark are actually kind of aligning on this. Do you, are you are you coming with us, Phil? Yeah, I am. I was going to say, I think we... Who did we hear it from? Two or three weeks ago, this came up. And I have to say, the idea immediately grabbed me as something uh, that would add that that level of quality that we needed to 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 try and steal a, a, a younger players um, a bit more. So yeah, I, I I don't think I can add anything meaningful to what you guys have said. It would. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll go to the next question in. then, Phil. You can you can have first dibs on this one. Ollie, one who's one of our uh, our regulars on this, um, says: Do England need to split the red ball and white ball coaches? 
do we need to have two separate things? I mean, I, I've always thought of, well, increasingly thinking of Red Bull and White Bull as almost two separate sports. Two separate yeah. coaches makes sense to me. Phil, what about you? Um, I It does make sense, but there, there needs to be a real, if you're going to have two different coaches, there, there perhaps needs to be someone operating between them as, you know, sort of that Giles role still to, to keep them working with each other and because there is clearly there's got to be some overlap so i yes i see the merits of two separate coaches but given that you would have an overlap of personnel and you need to keep therefore you know the, the use and development of those players overseen in some way there needs to be a a, third, a bridge between a, the a pair bit of, of joined up thinking is what you basically joined up there, thinking is what i'm struggling to say yes james yeah. it's but yeah in principle i mean i, I think they are the demands on the players now seem to be so different that it it, it does make sense. And if if white ball players now are, are essentially deemed uh, unlikely to get into a red ball team, then there doesn't seem there seems to be less less reason for a, for a single coach. I think is what I'm saying. Mark, yes or no? Yeah, of course you should have uh, separate coaches for um, for the two different formats, uh, white and red, and you should have a national selector again and a different structure to pick the sides. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. Going back to um, something I was tweeting about earlier, um, I mean, the Agnew thing made me angry actually this morning. I, got, I was in a bit of a tither. I actually stopped myself for once, stopped myself from tweeting immediately after I saw it because I am I am prone to actually jumping in with my heart rather than my head. I thought, right, I'll, I'll have a few hours to think about this. And then I was still angry, so I tweeted. But I, I, um, I'll read you out my tweet. I'll read you out my tweet. I, um, I responded to that. I try to ignore it, the Jonathan Agnew tweet, because it makes me angry. Jonathan Agnew's suggestion that the counties should be trimmed down is utter boop. Now is not the time to reduce the opportunities. It's time to strengthen what we've got, spread the game around the country and be proud of it. Not to think that Zach Crawley is the future because he averaged 27 or pick Rory Burns because he played two nice shots in the fifth test. He looked a mess. The bar has to be higher. Let's grow the game we love. Give kids opportunities to beat Australia next time or in 20 years' time. Yes, have three championship divisions, so the best play the best. They even have a layer of regional matches above the championship. Play more Lions fixtures. I can see those changes actually add something. The way to thrive and grow is not to take cricket and chances away from people and effectively shrink the game. few people came back to me and said, well, the championships doesn't get any spectators. We're spreading the game too thin across 18 counties, blah, 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 blah. I came back to that with, and um, for those of you telling me that there, that there isn't enough talent in the country and 18 counties spreads the game too thin, a couple of suggestions. Let's put our efforts into finding kids from beyond public schools and let's make cricket genuinely inclusive so players of colour thrive and they come through as well. That you know, If you actually find some people from state schools, and if you find a few players of colour out there, 
and they're good, they add to the quality, Phil. Yeah, well, I, you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't think there's much of an argument. I don't personally think there's much of an argument for, for diminishing the county structure. I think that's the, the bandwagon that's currently being jumped on, and I can understand why you're angry about it. You've heard me say this before, that there is a, a, a public school bias in what goes on. We are missing... The vast, vast majority of the population doesn't go to to private school, isn't privately educated. And and there must be uh, a pool within that part of the community that is uh, able to produce top quality cricketers for us once they're introduced to the game and once uh, they learn to love it. Because at the moment, we don't have the best branding. That's what what the 100's all about. It's about trying to attract kids. Um, And I'm not sure that that necessarily succeeds, but we will see because we're stuck with that. But the sport needs to introduce a new source of finding talent. Uh, And and for me, the most obvious source is uh, state schooling. And the reality is that you're more likely to find budding cricketers in the uh, South Asian community at the moment because the sport is just loved in that part of the world. And, and that's been brought with the immigration from that part of the world with them to this country. If we don't tap into that resource in a meaningful way, we are we are effectively uh, denying ourselves the opportunity to find a rich vein of talent within that within that part of the community. So well, it's, 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 it's basically tantamount to negligence, isn't it? If we're actually not plowing yeah. that for it. Yeah, it, 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 it can't. It, I mean, I don't think I've, I've set out anything that requires rocket science levels of, uh, of intellect to, to work out. It's, it's basic. The, the bigger your talent pool, the more chances you are, you have of finding the talent. Uh, and think, if we I are choosing more, to more experience done, Warwickshire opened their doors and had sort of public trials. You know, if you if you think you've got a chance, come down to our nets and let's let, let us have a look at you. I know Goffey and, and Yorkshire are going to do something similar. I think those kind of um, open trials where anybody can come along, you know, white, whatever colour, you know, from any background and show what they can do. And if they look half decent, they get come they come back again and potentially ultimately get into the system. Mark, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. And um, I mean, Lancashire do a similar thing. I mean, we've actually got quite a good. I think state schools are an interesting point. I think it's quite difficult to get into state schools because of the nature of, of state schools at the moment. I, uh, I, Mark, you're in education. Why why can we trust a, a sector of education that basically is known as public schools, but then they say they're privately educated? But kind of, what, how does that make sense? Anyway, that's a totally different conversation. I mean, my, my I think that it's actual clubs that counties need to work with far more closely. Lancashire have done that quite well. So every every player of Lancashire is affiliated to a local club, um, and they have links with them. They go down, they do coaching, they do this on the other. And we've got quite a good youth development network in the county. Most of our most of our staff, most of our professional staff, do actually come from state backgrounds. We do have a link now with Sedbury School, but uh, most of our people at Bohannon through the state sector, you know, Jimmy Anderson, all of them come through state through the state sector. So I actually think. It's very important that clubs work proactively with local cricket clubs to get people interested in the games. Because the idea you're going to start playing cricket in state schools consistently of a good level, I don't think is going to happen. Football, those types of things. But local clubs have the facilities. It's a, you know local. Yeah. It's about getting the right structure in your county club to work with them. I've no issue with 18 counties continuing, I've always said I just want to improve the quality. Now, if that means that we have three divisions in Derbyshire and Leicestershire, 
are in the third division for eternity, fine, because if they produce players, they will graduate to the first division where financial incentives will be greater. It will be a free market in that sense. So my, my, my priority is obviously to get more people playing cricket, but actually to improve the quality of what we play at the domestic level. I think so that's the key. That's the key, Mark. That's what, that's what I think as well. Is, you know, rather neglect it and kind of say, well, that's not working, so we'll take our eyes off it and, and ignore it. Actually invest in it and actually make it better, make it stronger, attract new more players to it and actually build it up so it actually serves its purpose in the future rather than actually just throw it away and think, oh, let's have 10 franchises. And then 10 years' time, we'll be changing the mind again. And well, that isn't, that isn't the way the, to do it. Actually take, take the solid structure we've got and make it even... One one more thing I'd like to say about that. You know, county cricket in England has strong historical roots. It is about producing England players, and it's become more so because that's where the money comes from. But it has strong social roots based in communities. So, therefore, if you start taking that lifeblood away, you aren't the same affiliation anyway. Um, You'll have more distance from the clubs. And that's why I said it's much more important that county clubs engage more with their local structures to develop talent. Yeah. Uh, if you do that, it's better than some ridiculous franchise. Absolutely agree. I've just looked in my face and I've got bags under my eyes from all this Ashes coverage. I need to get some sleep over the next few weeks. I really do. You are listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. To finish off with, well, just a point before we, we get to the final. Um, I saw Joe Root in the nets um, ahead of the last test match. Some kids watching, gave them his gloves and um, and went and gave him a little impromptu little coaching session. When he walked off after his final innings of the, the series, there were some kids near the um, near the boundary exit and he threw his gloves to them as well. Little things like that, Phil. And I know from when I, I'm going back a long time here, but from when I was a kid with my autograph book waiting for players, if they gave you a good word and they said something to you and you remember that and you walked away thinking, oh, he's a nice guy. And that makes that, it's that kind of thing that really sparks the interest in youngsters, isn't it? You know, if yeah. you get a little bit of time and just an ev- even just a one sentence from a player that you admire or that you've seen out there doing their stuff, that burns into you and actually that, that inspires, isn't it? It's that it's a touch of class. It really is from root, and it it doesn't cost much in terms of time and energy, and it but it can have such a profound effect on the on the youngster involved. And yeah, it, it, you're right. It will inevitably it, it is it will have an effect on those affected and the more it does it, the further it will go and the more likely those individuals are to stay in the game, be interested and develop. How often do we see footage of, you know, a young, an up and coming footballer that was training with somebody when they were a kid and you get footage of them as a nine or a 10 year old and they've had that time with a pro at the time. It it, it definitely, it definitely can help. Uh, And it's a real sign of the class act that Joe Root was bear in mind the crushing pressure that he's been under to still have that awareness and, uh, and yeah that just sense of your professional pride to still have that ability to see there's a couple of kids i can still look after them even though i've just received that absolute stinker i'll tell you i'll tell you what with with rooty whether people out there think he should stay as captain or not seem to think there's a quite a bit of support from him mainly because people can't see an alternative i've never seen anybody say anything other than he's a really good bloke and he's a really good bloke having known him at yorkshire he's a really good bloke and his heart is in the right place everybody needs a hero mark don't they do they (laughs) yeah i mean yeah jory is a nice guy i mean you you don't know there's you know that phrase where they say there's always somebody worse off than you well ultimately there is somebody right at the bottom of that pile in in that phrase everybody needs a hero you're right at the top so there's nobody for you to look up to is there really 
Well, that's right. I'm sitting here in my premiering room, so I'm right, right at the top of the tree. But um, no, Rick, Joe Root is, um, is a nice guy. He comes across as a really articulate young man, as I said before. I don't think he's the right captain for England, and it's nothing to do with his... Nothing to do with Root personally. I just don't think he's the right captain at this point in time. I think his race is run. But I think well, let's, go, let's go through some of the the, the, um, the the characters at the top of the tree here. Joe Root, should he remain as England captain? James says yes. Phil? No, I think I'd leave him in just betting. Who would you replace him with? Um, I, I pondered on your James, James Vince solution and I'm warming to it. Mark, yeah. no. Who would you replace him with? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? There's no alternative. Well, there at you the go. Moment, <laughs> at the moment, I've got absolutely no idea. Possibly James Vince, if they want to have a bit of a left field selection. I know Sam Billings put his hand up, but I don't think that's a goer, really. Um, yeah, Vince could be. Sam, Sam Billings is another good example of somebody that shouldn't even been anywhere near that squad, but was in Australia. So they called him up because yeah, he, yeah, he had he had, some wicket, he had some wicket-keeping gloves with him and he played quite well. So all of a sudden, he's the future. Yeah, yeah, he's the Twitter future, isn't he? But uh, James Vince, maybe. I mean, we're a pile of state, aren't we? So, yeah, but I mean, they've got... I mean, I'm not... It's not my it's not my salary level to pick the next England captain. That's why we have all these... That's why Giles is the, the supremo, isn't well, he? We're coming to him. We're coming to him. In a second, he might not be... If, um, depending on your votes, he might not be in charge soon. Chris Silverwood. Head coach, is he the right man to continue? I'm saying not. Phil? Um, it depends if and when Mags goes off to Yorkshire uh, because he might be the right man for England until such time. I don't think, I don't think Mags is going to Yorkshire. I think Mags is staying at Essex. So. Is he staying there? Right, then. Mm. Well, that's genuinely what I was thinking. To be honest, it's come to a point with, with Silverwood where there is now... There can't be another individual with more insight into the problems England has. It's, it's not so, having so what, you say, what you're saying is you, you're giving him the chance to actually put it right. I, I think, I, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm giving it the chance to put it right on the basis that you, you have that old that old banger of a car. You know what's wrong with it, uh, and you know what you need to do to sort it out, as opposed to buying a new second-hand car that you don't know what's wrong with it. That's the analogy I'm drawing. I think Silverwood must now, having been through this absolute horror, is well-placed to see exactly what's wrong, uh, and he might well be the man to ne- having like done half the job half the job is identifying the problems the next problem is now identifying how to, to solve them I think hopefully he's halfway there well hopefully then he's a good swimmer because I've got him actually swimming back and not in the plane and Mark <laughs> it's one vote no from me it's one vote yes from Phil you have the casting deciding vote should Chris Silwood stay in the job I think I think as I said last week I think he's very lucky that we've got a tour coming up very shortly I think logistically to start replacing him now might be quite difficult and, you know, more disruptive than it's worth and not fair on a new coach coming in. So just by default, I think he gets a chance in the West Indies. And I do like, um, I hate, you know, I don't like I don't like the idea of this kind of need to sack sack. He's made mistakes. I want him to admit he's made mistakes and see if he can put it right. Because I, it, I, t- I totally agree with that because I, I t- I'll tell you what I think. All too often, people get very defensive. They go into this bunker mentality and they kind of deny, deny, deny and, and they kind of try and play it as if they've, they've done everything okay. I think as members of the public, as supporters, we actually value, we can actually see the human side of this and we can actually value somebody coming out and say, actually, I don't think I got that right. I'm going to get it right next time. I think people, actually, people respect that. I think I would have more respect for people who did that. That's why I didn't like Giles's conversation or interview last week. It was well. Let's talk about Ashley Giles. 
So we'll, we'll start with you, Mark. Should should Ashley Giles be in a job? Of all the ones who are vulnerable, I would say Giles is, in my opinion, the most vulnerable because he's actually the leader and the boss. He's put together these structures. He's decided on this plan of action. How can he? And and I think the issue for Giles is the interview last week, and it's very important as a leader. We've seen it in our only so-called leaders recently. It's very important for a leader to have credibility. When he had did that interview last, whenever it was, it was a simple denial of any form of, you know, I've made a mistake, guys. I've done the wrong thing. It was it was harking back to the nineties. It was defensive. It was saying, "Well, we need to reform first class cricket." When he's known damn well for years, we've need to reform it, and he's gone along with it. He's put this structure in place. How can he now go back and say, "I want a red ball and a white ball, captain"? How can he now go back and say, "I need a national selector"? He got no. You can't do that as a leader. So I think Giles has to go. Phil Ashley Giles. I think having pinned my colours to the mast of allowing Silverwood the opportunity to remedy, identify and remedy his errors, I think it would be uh, churlish of me not to give Giles the same opportunity. I take on board everything Mark says. He's absolutely the most, I think he's the most culpable of those involved. But if we are to work on the basis, you allow some of the opportunity to constructively criticise their own work and to learn from it, there is nobody in a better position than he to analyse his own work, review it, and make some drastic improvements. I, I'm torn, to be honest, on Ashley Giles. Um, I, I think there's a great danger at the end of this Ashes series. There's going to be this report. I, I understand Andrew Strauss is going to be floating around somewhere in this process. Tom Harrison's going to be signing this report off. Um, Ashley Giles is going to be writing his bits. Chris Silverwood, Joe Root, I'm sure, will be writing their bits as well. I think there's a grave danger that they will just be protective of their own parts to play in this. I would, I would guarantee Tom Harrison will not want anything to be written badly about the 100 in this report. I can guarantee Ashley Giles will basically say he's done everything right and COVID was an awful problem. We all know that already. I, I think there's a danger in, in that because you, you, if you're going to actually make proper changes and you're going to move forward in a constructive positive way you've got to be truthful in these things if you're having a post-mortem you've got to be truthful and i'm not so sure that this report is going to actually be worth the paper it's written on by the end of it i'm going to basically you've already voted me in a job so my vote doesn't count so i'm going to sit on the fence um, no, on him no 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 go on crack on and make oh, i'd oust him i mean if it, if he came to it gun to head i would i would actually oust him because i think he has been responsible for all this and i think as as mark said i think his interview was awful it was basically almost saying, well, it's his fault, it's his fault, it's his fault. None of it's my fault. And I, yeah, I don't like that. And I, I want him to actually, like I said, I, I actually respect people for saying that they've got something wrong. I think yeah, everybody gets something wrong. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. Ashley Giles, Chris Silverwood, Joe Root are no different. And it may, it, it's actually productive if you actually admit your errors, I think, along the way. As long as not everything you do is an error, it's productive that you admit it. and I sent the Badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast then tweet at cricket underscore badger. Let's finish off with another name. Tom Harrison. 
He's at the uh, top of the tree as the chief executive of the ECB. He's come under fire. He's come out recently and said that Test cricket is going to be is the pinnacle. We need to reset Test cricket and we need to make sure that we give it the full gusto. Um, he probably said something very similar four years ago. Um, he's been in charge for seven years. He's the man that brought in the hundred, which I, I think is one of the coconuts on the shy that's basically is knocking off Test cricket, not actually producing Test cricketers. I think Tom Harrison's tenure i think what he says on inclusivity by the way and that's one thing that we haven't mentioned in all of this stuff um, about changing cricket and trying to you know change the domestic system and what have you you know in terms of inclusivity bring that into everything as well because that's an important thing it shouldn't be overshadowed by you know the the um, post-mortem after the ashes racism in cricket and everything that came of that has to stay front and center as well but tom harrison's been around for a long time made a lot of decisions i watched george de bell's last um last thing on the cricketer is uh his thing and um he was saying he, he says it's the pinnacle of, of the game but none of his actions have actually suggested that that's actually what he really believes i think tom harrison if he's not in last chance saloon he's heading out of the exit door of it i i can't see a future for tom harrison unless he does something drastic and really starts to put his money where his mouth is felt i don't i don't i don't know enough about him to be brutally honest I, in terms of what he said, you wouldn't disagree with anything he said. I mean, apart from the hundred, I, I appreciate you disagree with, but the hundred, and I'm no fan of it. The hundred hasn't caused what's happened in Australia the move, this winter. Yeah, th- this is what a lot of people keep saying to me. The hundred is too new to have caused this, yeah. but the drive towards the hundred and the change in mentality towards white ball cricket that has led to the hundred is what's caused this. Yeah, but in ter- players are playing the game that they're playing, and if the idea is that the hundred, you know, removes resources, attention, uh, players from playing the longer form of the game, then there's no evidence to suggest that that's had is had enough time to do that. Yeah, it might well aggravate matters and make things much worse. I I, I think it's premature, and it does your argument no favors to pray that in aid of it at the moment because. It's just too soon to say the hundred. What, what I'm there. saying, though, Phil, is that if you are Tom Harrison and you're saying that cricket, Test cricket, is the pinnacle, and then the next thing you do is you throw the hundred into the middle of the peak month of the season, where everybody's playing white ball <laughs> cricket and county championship cricket goes invisible. That isn't that isn't saying that Test cricket is the pinnacle. As George DeBell, I heard his interview on TMS, where he yeah. said the hundred is the turd in the middle of the room that the rest of cricket is walking around. Um, I, I like that analogy. I think that sums it up nicely. And I think if you're Tom Harrison, there is no evidence in anything that he's done, which actually backs up his his assertion that Test cricket is the pinnacle. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we're not in the room. Was, oh, sorry, was that to Mark? Sorry, Mark. Well, yeah, Mark can, Mark can come in. Yeah, Tom Harrison has to go. He is the chief strategist. He, you know, he says, I mean, we've had interviews with him in the summer where he's just come across as totally just anemic, just anemic interviews. And um, you know the idea he's got you know the pinnacle of the game. He's 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 he's, he's overseen a, a cultural change in in English cricket, which has been det- you know has gone too too far. And it's been detrimental. He has not. Also, he's also not been a great strategist. He doesn't know a huge amount of the about the game. You know he he, he employed Ashley Giles. He's responsible to a certain degree for the cosy culture that now exists for some England players. These guys are getting paid seven million you know, million-pound contracts if they are a multi-format player. He's developed this kind of almost too cosiest culture from from a high. 
I, don't I guarantee you, Mark. I guarantee you, because the hundred, uh, sorry, the hundred, the the IPL now stretches to the end of May. I guarantee you, Tom Harrison will not recall any of those England players well, before the end of May. It's become too. It's almost become player power. It's become too cosy, and Harrison has overseen that cultural shift. You need somebody with knowledge of the game. You don't have to be a played professional cricket to have jobs in cricket. I don't think, but to 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 be that at that level, you have to have some knowledge of the game. And I don't think he has great knowledge of the game. I also don't think he's a great strategist. And I also think the cultural changes that have brought, been brought about have been detrimental. So for me, him with Giles as the leaders, let's not be chopping down them people below. Let's actually say that when you're leading an organisation, it's actually the leaders that set the tone. And if there is, if 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 we're in a situation of crisis, then it's the leadership you have to look at, and that is the same in any business or sport. That's it. End of story in my book. That's the reshuffle then. Some are going, some are staying. Some are, I've got our best wishes for the uh, next, well, I was going to say next four years. Next few months, West Indies is important away as well. We've got a summer of cricket coming up. They're important test matches too. But obviously the Ashes is uh, mentioned at the uh, end of most Australian and English people's sentences. I mean, one final point before we, we, we say goodbye and say goodbye to this Ashes, which has been a torrid, torrid watch, hasn't it, at times. Um, I saw a video today of the Australian guys in a bar in Australia, and obviously in Australia, uh, Nathan Lyon lifting the the vase, the Ashes urn trophy up, and they were singing "We Are the Champions." It had to be an English song, didn't it? They were singing, but "We Are the Champions." All of them are in that bar, basically. And then he was um, stand up if you've if we've won four nil, and they were all singing along to that and having a beer. If you're going to show that to anybody in terms of inspiration for an English player, whether it's Zach Crawley, Ollie Pope, whoever to actually grit your teeth, be better in four years' time and get that urn back on foreign soil. Showing people something like that has got to be the incentive. I remember talking to Craig White. Yorkshire had lost a semi-final at Scarborough. I think it was against Essex, actually, um, your boys. Um, and Essex were all singing in their dressing room. And Chalky looked at me and he says, I, I hate this. He says, I hate losing and hearing the opposition sing like that. It just sticks in your throat. That's got to stick in people's throats, Mark, hasn't it? Those the, the Aussies singing—that's got to be put right, hasn't it? Well, you'd hope so. You don't, you know, you don't, you hope so. But they're probably too too busy playing Call of Duty or whatever to notice. But you would, you would hope so. And you would hope that they have got enough uh, about them to want to put things right. You know, top level sport. We talked about technique a lot in this podcast, and coaches, rightly so. But top level sport, and top level sports people have very strong mentalities. You look at all the best sports people. If you look at, listen to the interview, I know you don't like it, but listen to the interview by Cristiano Ronaldo last week on the situation at Manchester United. You know, you can see it in the, in the top people. They have the right mentalities. If you haven't got that mentality, then you, you're, not going to, you're not going to achieve. So we need those people with strong mentalities to go with good techniques. So you hope they're getting angry and you hope they're going to put it right and you hope we got that determination, yes. Got to use that as motivation, Phil, I, I certainly would. I, t- I tell you what would set me off was Boland's pointing at the stumps at Root when he just bowled him, screaming at him as he runs past him. I tell you what, that would have, that would have set my teeth you, on You'd have ended up suspended by wrapping your back on him. Yeah, I have to say, and it would probably have been worth it because I have to say that was, I thought that was, that was shithousery of a, 
of an unnecessary level from a team that had already I, crushed us. Bearing in mind, I, it was, was the pitch. It wasn't even him. It was the pitch. I was commentating on that. And uh, we actually said, because Scott Boland had been quite understated, I think, all the way through the series in the three games he'd played. He'd never looked to be too brash or egotistical. He just seemed to be enjoying himself. And, you know, as I say, understated. Uh, at that moment, he actually burst out of his shell. He'd taken the prize scalp. I could understand him being excited by that, Phil. But if, he'd be, if it had been you, he'd have basically hit the deck, I guess. Um, maybe. That's Phil suspended for three years from test match duty. Then, if anybody from the ECB is listening, even if it's just a, a hypothetical situation, it's a hypothetical suspension. A hypothetical gentlemen, suspension. gentlemen, it's been a, a, ter- a terrific series. It's still the Ashes, it's still cricket, and it's been good to watch. It's just a shame it wasn't very competitive. I thank you, Mark. I thank you, Phil, for joining me, and I thank everybody else for uh, being part of this and for watching as we've gone through the Ashes. And um, we'll be back as well. We'll come back um, ahead of the, I think we're going to do an IPL auction one. We'll jump in with an IPL auction and reaction to the people that get bought and sold at that and I will come back for uh, England in the West Indies um, which is not too far away now start of March isn't it for England in the West Indies so we'll come back and see how England bounce back from their Ashes woes and their Ashes defeat we'll see who the personnel are and we'll see if uh, our sackings our hirings and firings have actually had any bite and any any if it's actually had any effect on the decisions that are made Phil Mark thank you very much thanks everybody for watching hopefully you've enjoyed the Ashes pods of, as we've gone through and we will talk to you very soon indeed cheers all Podcast Network.